right, why don't you guys take your seats. Thank you very much, team. That was awesome. Um, I love Coldplay. That's not really cool for a music teacher, but I love Coldplay. And I love TED Talks. I find them really encouraging. But how many of you know that church isn't meant to just be a Coldplay concert followed by a TED Talk? That's not what we're doing here. Um, when God comes and God moves, something a whole lot more powerful happens. And that is kind of what we're going to be getting into today. Um, if you haven't met me before, or actually if you have, my name's the same. I'm Rob. I'm one of the clan of Badmans around here who are slowly trying to um, overtake the Joneses, but we're not doing very well. I guess here's where you'd insert a joke about trying to keep up with the Joneses or something like that. And, uh, you know, we're, we're trying. But uh, Rach and I have been coming here for about two and a half years or so, and we love it. So thank you for helping us feel welcome in this place and more importantly for helping our kids feel welcome in this place because that is why we came here in the first place at least um, was we wanted them to be able to grow up somewhere where they would love Jesus and be around people who love Jesus and that's just been huge. So we, we love being part of this place. Um, when I got the, the, the roster that I got that we get emailed out when people are speaking and I haven't done a message up here before a sermon, I'd spoken at communion and things like that and the roster came out and I thought oh Ben's probably asking me to do communion again um that'd be great that's that's good and then I thought oh I'm on a sermon oh okay I hope hope that goes well you know I, I like doing this it's it's okay but but I thought oh okay and then I saw that I was part of a prayer series and I thought, oh good prayer that that'll be nice you know a nice cushy way to kind of ease in and then I was like Oh, I'm on prayer at Pentecost week. All right. So this is the first time I've done a message here. This might be the last time, but Ben, ben did say that he wants some curly questions. So if there's any curly questions in follow-up to today, it's not my responsibility. He wanted the curly questions. Send them all to Ben Sattler at... No, I don't actually know his email address, but no. Um, it's, it's all good. I actually think it's a bit of a God thing that I'm up here speaking on prayer at Pentecost because I'm not somebody who grew up in a family where that was a normal thing, speaking in tongues I'm talking about, and where and those Pentecostal kind of things. Um, I had an awesome upbringing, same as you know the, the, my family that you might know better than me. Um, we grew up in an amazing household and we are kind of from a long line of Baptists. We're Baptist to the back teeth. Um, <laughs> And so that means that we have this really good grounding in the word and we were brought up to know Jesus and to love Jesus. And I'm incredibly thankful for that. And there's actually a number of people in this room who were part of the same Baptist church that I was a part of. Um, and I loved it. I, I, I really loved it. But I didn't really know anything about that spiritual kind of stuff. Um, I was... I wasn't brought up to think that those things were wrong. I don't want to give that impression. Some were. Some of you were, and I've even noticed this in conversation over the last little while with people. But um, I was just kind of in neutral to those things. I thought that was something that probably happened in Africa where kind of like the, the big God things happen, you know, those videos that you see. Um, but for the rest of us in kind of, you know, comfortable land, we probably don't do that, we probably don't even need that, so I, I just didn't have any any gauge for it. So I grew up with no experience of, of things like tongues or gifts of the spirit or whatever else. Um, then in my teens, as somebody who liked to read and liked the Bible, uh, I came across some of the passages in the New Testament that speak about these sorts of things, and again, the same thing happened, I kind of went, oh, okay, it's in the Bible, but there's lots of things in the Bible that I don't see regularly, so I guess it's one of those. Um, 
Then a little bit later on, I was part of a, a Bible study group, which was great. And there was this guy that started coming along. And one night he asked if he could pray in tongues over all of us. And we all freaked out. And we were like, um, no, no, you can't. I know there's something in the Bible about interpretation. So please don't do that. And I just kind of put the seatbelt on and freaked out a little bit and left it there for a while. Then when I was about 19, I was looking for a new church uh, and went along with a friend to a church that Rach and I still actually go to quite regularly on Sunday nights, a bit further up the mountain, a charismatic church. Uh, and I had some pretty powerful encounters with God. Well, I, I call them that now. At the time, I didn't really know what was going on with me. Um, but I knew that I was freaked out. I knew that God was doing stuff. I heard prophetic words be given to people that I knew and they were accurate and I knew that those people didn't know those things. So something was legit, but I was weirded out. Um, I saw people get healed from other people praying for them. and I couldn't explain that. I knew God was doing something, but again, it was just weird. And then there was this elephant in the room of this speaking in tongues sort of thing that happened sometimes. And I knew people had said to me like, oh, you should pray for that to happen for you too. And I was like, yeah. If God wants that to happen, he'll just make it happen. Um, otherwise, not really super interested, thanks. But uh, And so for about six months, actually, of going to that church, I didn't call it my church. Um, I was visiting. And then it was only after about six months that somebody was like, Rob, you've been coming here every Friday night and every Sunday night for six months. At, would you call this your church now? And I was kind of like, uh, maybe I would. So I was I was very reluctant to, um, to sort of open myself to these things. But God worked on me. Uh, and I began to pray in my own time that he would open me to the work of his spirit. And that led for me to a particular day. It was a sort of a teaching day that was happening at church where we were all gathering together, and in a small group we were praying for the Holy Spirit to fill us anew. And I had what I now believe to be you know, a baptism of the spirit sort of moment where the Holy Spirit came, impacted me really powerfully, um, and I began to kind of whisper in these sounds that I'd didn't know and at the time I was kind of like mm, this might not be it is this me is this that is this I, I don't know I'm somebody who gets lost in whoa. whoa I said things would get a bit different um I'm somebody who gets a little bit lost in my own head so I was a bit you know over analytical of these things but I actually think maybe that's why God's got me talking about this today because there's some people in this room who you already like speaking in tongues you already speak in tongues that's not a problem for you some of you have maybe spoken in tongues before, but you kind of don't really know why it's a thing. And so maybe you've just kind of let it fall aside. Some of you, a bit like me, or at least where I was, you're a bit freaked out and skeptical of that. And you're going, I'm just not sure, Rob. And you're getting in your head. Or maybe you've gone, I think I've done that before, but was it me? Or was it the Holy Spirit? Or I don't really know either. Um, and I get it. I get it because that has totally been me. And then there might be some of you in here who, this is actually your first time at this church, and you go, oh, great, I turned up on speaking in tongues week. Good luck. Um, it's okay. You know, God, will, God meets all of us where we're at. So I pray that this isn't, you know, it, God, will, God will minister to you um, no matter where you're at in here. So my 18-year-old self basically would be horrified that I ended up going to a Pentecostal college, and I'm up here speaking on the stage of a Pentecostal church about prayer at Pentecost. But there you go. God, God takes things that we're very uncomfortable with, and sometimes that's exactly where he wants you to be. Um, and maybe that's a word for you wherever you're at in different things. So let's get into some of this. We're going to be talking about prayer, but... Before we kind of do that, I need to lay some other foundations. Because we are talking about prayer at Pentecost, we need to talk about the Spirit. We need to talk about 
spirit baptism, some things like this. Uh, Ben and Dan have done a great job over the last couple of weeks laying these foundations for us. And really what I've taken out of it is just these constant reminders that prayer prayer is simple, but it is powerful. Prayer is our communion with God. It's our conversation with God. And we overcomplicate it. It doesn't need to be that way. But we have this amazing gift of the fact that prayer is not just something we have to sort out for ourselves, but it's Holy Spirit empowered. So people sometimes accuse Pentecostals and Charismatics of emphasizing the Spirit too much. That can happen. But I would remind those people that Jesus said in John... Some, some wild words when you think about it. It is better that I go so the Holy Spirit can come to you. That's a pretty out there thing to say because I can't think of much better than Jesus being right here with me in physical form. Yet Jesus said, it is better that I go so the Holy Spirit can come and be with you. So if our idea of the Spirit isn't at least as good as having literal physical Jesus walking around with us, which, let's be real, unless, like, I might not have met you yet, and I might not know this, but for most of us, that's not reality yet. Then we've got some way to go in saying, Holy Spirit, we want to know you more. Holy Spirit, we want to walk in step with you. Holy Spirit, show us who you are. The impact of the Spirit is, this is the words, you know, this is what Jesus is telling us, not, not me. The Holy Spirit's work in our lives is to be more powerful, more life-giving than if literal physical Jesus was walking around doing things next to you. And if that was the case, I know that would change so much for me if he was walking around next to me. So we're going to start in Acts because that's absolutely where we should be going when we're talking prayer at Pentecost. Jesus told his followers um, just before the Pentecost sort of event, he told his followers to wait to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts 1 verse 5. And they would have been thinking, I'm sorry, a a what? They've been baptized in water, they knew about that. And then he said, wait to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so the church did what all good Christians do when they're not quite sure what to do. They have a prayer meeting. And so they gather together, they hang out, they eat food, they live in community, they worship God and they pray. And they would have, if you put yourself in their shoes for a bit, they would have been thinking, I'm not quite sure what I'm actually waiting for. Will I know when it happens? What's going to happen? And that's sometimes how we feel when we're waiting on God. Let's go to Acts 2. So in Acts 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. 
Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. I love that bit. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I just want to pick up on a couple of little things before I come back to this. These other tongues were obviously sounding like people's own languages to some, literal languages to some. It says each one heard their own language being spoken. But they were sounding like drunken gibberish to some others. Because some people are going, aren't they drunk? I don't know about you. I don't try to make a habit of like always hanging out in places where people are always drunk. But any drunk people I've been around, they don't just like get hammered and then start speaking in really good French <laughs> or something. Or get drunk and like, wow, you can speak Swahili. Who knew? It doesn't happen like that. So the, automatically we know, hang on a tick. There's, there's two different sort of things going on here. Some are hearing it in their own language, a literal language, what sometimes gets referred to as xenolalia. And some are hearing this, this kind of what is an unintelligible language, what, what sometimes gets referred to as glossolalia. Right? Straight away, it's evident that there's both things happening there. I just want to park that idea. We'll come back to it. But back to this passage, because I, I could have trimmed this down, and I'm tight for time because I don't have the spiritual gift of brevity. But I wanted to... <laughs> I wanted to include this bit with all of those nations, all of those, you know, ites and eights and all the people from everywhere. Because it's a really important thing that the Holy Spirit's trying to say. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. Peter was at pains to make this point. Not just the Jews, not just people of high status, not just men, not just adults. The outpouring of the Spirit brings about unity in diversity, and that is really crucial. In fact, the Pentecostal movement has always had this right at our core. You know, the Azusa Street Revival at the beginning of the 1900s started out of poor black American, you know, um, churches or, or people, right? It has to happen this way. The, the Pentecostal church has always been at the core of interracial fellowship when that wasn't a thing and of women being ordained for ministry when that wasn't a thing. And because I'm not employed by the ACCC, or ACCC, not that one, the Australian Christian Churches. No, I'm not employed by either, actually. Um, I, can, I could probably say this without being worried. I feel like the Pentecostal Church, both in Australia and America and others, has taken a little bit of a step back from that. Sometimes it's a little bit too chummy with those in power and a little bit less chummy with those at the bottom where we should be serving. Because that's where our movement has come from and that's where the Holy Spirit has always moved most powerfully. I can chuck that one in for free without getting in trouble. But what's the, what's the key here? The outpouring of the Spirit is for all. The outpouring of the Spirit is for all, which means the outpouring of the Spirit is for you. Um, I love Reinhard Bonnke. Unfortunately, he's passed away now. Really, really famous um, German uh, evangelist who you know, ministered to millions in Africa. And he would always say, what is, I've just had a total mental blank. What does he always say? I, I go to this all the time. I've just moved straight past my stuff. Now, I've, I've even gone off what my notes are. Oh, um, if you are washed in the blood of Jesus, you qualify. That's what he always would say in this, this thick German accent. If you are washed in the blood of Jesus, you qualify. That's all you need, right? 
And from this moment, this changes everything into the book of Acts, right? From here, things start to break loose and get wild. And this is when, you know, prison breaks happen and people get healed and all sorts of this stuff happens. Let's move a little bit further forward. So we're going to go up to Acts 10 now. And this is where Peter has been at the household of a guy called Cornelius. And he's had this vision and God's basically showed him that he doesn't show any favoritism, right? And so... Then we get to this bit where it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, in other words, these words that God doesn't show favoritism, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised, in other words, the Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So they were gathered together, they were speaking in tongues together, and they were praising God. Interesting at that point, there's no interpretation, but let's park that idea too. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we all have. The Holy Spirit is this incredible equalizer. Because we have the whole household of Cornelius here. That doesn't just mean Cornelius and his wife and a few kids, right? The household back then, for somebody like this, he was a centurion, somebody with a good job. He would have been the paterfamilias over this family. And then you have the entire household. That would have included servants and slaves and maids and children and teachers and all sorts of other people involved. The Holy Spirit came on a lot of them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. As Pentecostals, and I would argue for any Christian who takes the book of Acts seriously, because the Holy Spirit doesn't just move in Pentecostal circles, hate to break it to you. Um, I don't actually, I love that. And, and God's doing a really powerful thing across the world, uniting the Spirit and the Word. And I think a lot of the stuff happening in the Pentecostal church and in other parts of the church, it's, I'm excited about what God's doing. But as people who, who take Acts seriously, we believe in the baptism of the Spirit which is an experience that is subsequent to our salvation where we receive by faith the Holy Spirit being poured out into us, not for the sake of an experience. And this is something people who aren't Pentecostals criticize sometimes. It's not for the sake of that. I mean, that's nice, but you can get warm fuzzies going to a good concert or eating a great meal or having a hug from someone you really love. It's for empowerment to bring his kingdom to earth in a Jesus kind of way. Um, Bill Johnson, the lead pastor at Bethel Church in America, says, The Spirit is within me for my sake, but he comes upon me for yours. So if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is in you. No ifs and or buts, right? The Holy Spirit is in you. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. But the Holy Spirit would also like to baptize you with power for empowerment for ministry. And we use this word baptize, which can kind of be a bit confusing. But if we look at where it comes from, it's actually really beautiful. Um, Kurt, I'll get you to flick to the next next slide for me. The word baptize that we get in our Bible when it comes up is this word baptizo. Okay, Baptizo means to submerge or to dip repeatedly, to immerse. It carries the connotation of like cloth being dipped into dye. When cloth gets dipped into dye, it soaks up the dye and it changes forever. You can't like undye it. That doesn't work. Another example I came across when doing a bit of research here, this is a a recipe for pickles from 200 BC from Greek in in Koine Greek, right? I'm not going to read it to you in the Koine, but it's this recipe for making pickles, not something you thought you'd hear this morning. And it says, in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped. That's a different word, bapto, just dipped 
into boiling water. Then it should be baptized, baptizo, into the vinegar solution. And from there it changes. See, both verbs contain the immersing, concern the immersing of the vegetables in the solution, but one is temporary and one brings about permanent change. And that's what's happening when the Holy Spirit baptizes us. He's coming to bring permanent change. We aren't meant to be just like dipped in the water and off we go, like in, you know, jumping into a pool and coming back out or something like that. Like with water baptism, like with spirit baptism, it leaves lasting change for a purpose. And that cucumber doesn't taste like a cucumber anymore. It tastes like a pickle. It's no, there's no going back. Let's move a little bit further forward. If we look at Acts 19, here's another example. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I love that. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. So in other words, in water. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Repentance means just to change the way we think, to do a 180. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Again, this is something that happened when the Holy Spirit came on them. It can happen immediately. It can happen later. I know people, you might know people who have received or, or, or had powerful encounters with God and not begun to speak in tongues immediately either. And if that's you, please stop disqualifying yourself. That has no indication of your spiritual maturity. In fact, none of this has anything to do with your spiritual maturity. Because I know people who've spoken in tongues and then three minutes later, they're yelling at somebody in the car park, right? And I've also known people who are displaying the gifts of the Spirit in other ways, who are displaying the fruits of the Spirit, who are, you know, living out love. And yet, they never spoke in tongues at all. This has nothing to do with spiritual maturity. So it's not a medal of honor. It's not a badge of your you know, spiritual status. Or it's also not a badge of dishonor or something of your spiritual low status if this has not occurred in your life yet. Okay. In my experience, um, speaking in tongues happened at that moment. It was, it was a, a same time thing. And for many, that's the case, as we see in these couple of examples in Acts. But it doesn't always happen straight away. But what I do believe is that at that moment, all are enabled to speak in tongues. doesn't mean it happens straight away, but all are enabled to. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as it says on the next slide, I think, Kurt, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is received by faith to empower us to change the world in a Jesus kind of way. It is really that simple. If you're washed in the blood of Jesus, you qualify. Hey, Lucy, darling. This is weird for you, isn't it? Why am I up here, not with you? Dan shared last week this scripture out of Luke 11, the bit about the snake and the scorpion and the, you know, that sort of thing. So if, you're sin, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's not talking about other gifts that he gives. He's not saying, if you know, if you knowing how to give good gifts to your children, how much more is the Holy Spirit going to give you a nice house or something like that? He's saying, how much more will God pour out his Spirit on those who ask him? I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but I leak. I need more of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Right? And that's all of us. So let's speak about speaking in tongues then. 
What is speaking in tongues? Firstly, I've got, I've got six little points here that I'm going to sort of pull together. And I guess it'll kind of happen quite quickly. Speaking in tongues is vertical speech. What do I mean by that? Speaking in tongues is prayer. It is speech from us to God. Contrary to what some people think, it's not like if you had the subtitles and you interpreted it. It's not a message from me to you, right? It's not a prophecy. Speaking in tongues is speech to God. It says in Acts 2.11 that they declare it, they were declaring the wonders of God. That's what the people hearing the tongues were hearing. They were hearing them declaring the wonders of God. It's praise and proclamation. It's prayer. In 1 Corinthians 14.2, it says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue, here it is, does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So it's speech to God. It's vertical speech, not horizontal speech. Secondly, speaking in tongues is enabled by the Spirit. You hear I said enabled by the Spirit, not dictated by the Spirit. He doesn't overtake you. He doesn't force your mouth open and make these sounds come out. And you're like, well, that's kind of what I thought would happen. I was like, well, if God wants this to happen, he'll overtake me and he'll make it happen. No, God was waiting for me to partner with him. Which then brings in our faith element because you go, is, is this him? Is this me? It is, is this? No, it's him in you. But we need to open our mouths and speak. Like using the gifts of healing or of prophecy or something like that. I mean, nobody would go, well, if God wants to heal through me, I guess I'll do, as I walk past people, people will just get healed. You're expecting that you're going to have to do something about it. If God wants me to use a gift of teaching, I'm also going to assume that at some point I'm going to have to actually teach. It's not like people are just going to hang around me and be like, wow, I'm learning so much, <laughs> right? It's, it's like the same with prophecy. Like I, I, I've shared a few you know, words with people at different times here and I get the heebie-jeebies and I get nervous and I've got to think it through and drum up the courage and go and speak to them. God doesn't overtake me and I don't just, you know, get in a zombie state and go, thus saith the Lord. No, it doesn't work like that, right? Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the head of the Anglican Church who did the sermon at Queen Elizabeth's funeral, by the way, so kind of a representative of quite a conservative part of the church in general. I love this. He said this, In my own prayer life and as a part of my daily discipline, I pray in tongues every day. It's just a routine part of spiritual discipline. You choose to speak and you speak a language that you don't know. It just comes. Now that upset a lot of people. <laughs> this is the Archbishop of Canterbury, right? It's awesome what God is doing across the world. He puts it so simply. In Acts 2, verse 4, it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And as I said, in some cases that was heard as literal voices. Literal voices. They weren't literal voices. Literal languages. In other cases, not. I've heard some examples of that being the case, um, but it's, it's much less common. I heard an awesome story on a podcast recently of somebody who was on a bus and felt an urge to begin speaking in tongues out loud on the bus, which is kind of weird. And they were like, mm, probably not, and it would not go away. And so this lady started to do that. And it turns out that the guy behind her then tapped her on the shoulder and was like, where did you learn Russian? And she was like, uh, go on. And it was she was speaking in Russian the words of a song that this guy's grandmother used to sing to him from a hymn. Like, that's incredible, right? I would love that to be what's happening with all of us. Probably not, right? That's not what happens most of the time. But just so you know, that stuff can happen. Do some research. It's cool. Okay. 
Third point, and this one upsets some people too. Again, emails to Ben. Speaking in tongues is available for all Christians. Speaking in tongues is available for all Christians. Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. I would like every one. He even says in another bit, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, he does go on to say, but I would rather have you prophesy. So he's not putting tongues on this pedestal as though it's something super, super important above everything else. But he does say, I would love that every one of you would prophesy. Now, you might go back against that and go, yeah, but doesn't he also say, but do all speak in tongues? No, no, that's right. He does say that. But he's not saying all can't. He's just saying not, not all do. Not all do, but he's not saying that all can't. He's saying, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. And what a cruel thing to say if you couldn't. It'd be, it'd be like me going, you know, I would like every one of you to fly. Like, cool, what? why would you, what? Like, it, it's not going to help anybody. Do all speak in tongues? No, but I believe that at that moment when the Holy Spirit comes and impacts us, all are enabled to speak in tongues. Fourth point. Speaking in tongues is a gift, not a reward. I said this before. Reinhard Bonnke always says, the gifts of the Spirit are not medals of honor. They are tools for the job. It's that simple. So this is not an indication of your spiritual maturity. We ask and we receive. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. It's a symbol of our dependence. It's us going, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. My study, my brain, my not. No way. My power, what? this finite power, I can't change anything. I need you, says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now, to each, one of the to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The gifts are available to all believers as God empowers. Fifth point, speaking in tongues, and this is where we get to the prayer bit, <laughs> finally. Speaking in tongues empowers our prayer life. I don't know about you, but does your prayer life need more power? Could it do with more power? How often do you not know what to pray? For me, that's a lot. With tongues, you know that you can pray the will of God. You can be in step with the Spirit when you aren't sure what else to do. For me, this was when tongues became to be a crucial, a daily part of my prayer life as opposed to something I did occasionally. So I began to speak in tongues, I guess, about 13 or 14 years ago. It didn't become crucial for me or daily for me until... A couple of years ago, really, and it came when I didn't know how to pray for my students anymore. I'm a school teacher. I, I, I pray for my students in the car every day as I'm driving to work. Um, and I just kind of got to the point where I had so many students and their lives were so complex and what they were going through was so complex, I just didn't know what to do anymore. I didn't know how to pray for them. I didn't know what was going on in their lives. There were kids with families with drug issues and things being split up and all these. I don't know. What do I even say anymore? I was like, God, this one's on you. Actually, it's all on him. But I'm just going to pray in tongues because I'm not sure what else to do. It gives our minds a rest. And for people like me whose brain just doesn't give us much of a rest, that is a really special thing. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. That doesn't mean our mind is useless. It just means our mind has a rest. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. In Romans 8 verse 26, it says the spirit helps us in our weakness. Speaking in tongues is prayer from weakness. 
We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Now, that's not only tongues. He's always interceding for us, but this is part of it. It's dependence. Frank Macchia, a Pentecostal theologian, says, I think I put it on a slide, says this, tongues bring to ultimate expression the struggle that is essential to all prayer, namely, trying to put into words what is deeper than words. How can we express our thoughts, our worship, our adoration for God with words? Like, like what, a, what a ridiculous, crazy thing. He's given us this gift to help us. And point number six, speaking in tongues builds us up. Now, people might go, hang on a minute, builds us up. What, what are you, you're full of yourself? Do you need all this building up? We go, yeah, I do. I do need it because I'm not full of myself. Is this selfish and self-absorbed to need to be built up in the spirit? No, we need to be built up to be effective. We need to be filled up to be able to pour out. It says in Jude, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. See, if Steve's edified, if he's built up, He's going to do a whole lot better of a job edifying the people around him. It's, it's just necessary. Frank Macchia, again, the same guy from before, says, Ultimately, there is no separation between self-edification and the edification of others. Because one leads to the other. Or it should. If it's not, it's a dead end. So when we put those things together, right? And I'll come back to this in a minute. We get speaking in tongues being vertical speech, enabled by the Spirit of God, available to all Christians as a gift to empower our prayer life and to build us up. And that's what God is doing in us. Now, I just want to address, this was never going to be a short talk, by the way, because this, you know, this, it's a big topic. It's a big topic. But I need to just take a couple of minutes to address what can sometimes be a little bit of an elephant in the room when we're talking about tongues. And that is when and where, time and place, right? It can be hard. Because we have these bits in 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul gives some pretty clear prohibitions around how we should be using the gift of tongues in a public setting. And then we also have these instances in Acts where the Holy Spirit breaks out and people pray in tongues all together and nothing's said about it. In fact, they worship God and they go, this is awesome. So what do we do with that? We email Ben. No. Um, it's, it's really important. This is probably a, a bit lost. One thing that I've stood by a lot when I've, when I've been learning Bible and all that stuff is a text without a context is just a pretext for whatever you want it to mean. A text without a context is just a pretext for whatever you want it to mean. So we've got to understand the context of what's going on here. And our theology that we form around tongues has to come from both Acts and 1 Corinthians and, and Jude. They're kind of our, our areas where it comes up. Okay, so primarily the gift of tongues is for our private prayer lives. That is where we use it most of the time. We do not get up. And preach a message in tongues. I saw Ben yesterday. 
And he said, how are you going for tomorrow? I said, I feel a bit nervous, but it's okay. I'm just going to stand up for 30 minutes, speak in tongues, and you can sort it out later. Um, that would have been very unbiblical, right? If somebody was to stand up and deliver over people a message in tongues, then there needs to be an interpretation for that. That's how that works. It's why we don't stand up and give a message in tongues. But also we're trying to not throw the baby out with the bathwater because we've got all these instances in Acts, particularly where the Holy Spirit moves and people begin to pray in tongues. And so we have these times in worship particularly where you might be having a moment with God and in a non-distracting way and people are just worshipping God, you might be speaking in tongues or singing in tongues with God. You might be in a prayer meeting with other people who are all believers. You all know what's going on and people might be praying in tongues. Right, But not when we're, you know, this is why I'm not speaking up here, speaking in tongues to you right now. Because people are going to go, this doesn't help me. This doesn't, I don't know what you're saying. And I don't know what I'm saying. So what, what are we all doing? We've got to think about the context here. So Corinth was a, a strategic loca location bleh, for the spread of the gospel. It was uh, a city in the middle of two ports. And it had a really lively sex slave trade. And it had uh, a lot of temples to different idols. And its people were obsessed with status and self-promotion. And the Corinthian church, the people in the Corinthian church, were living as though their spiritual gifts made them better than everybody else. And the spiritual gifts were overtaking their meetings. Um, it was sometimes referred to, uh, if you referred to someone in culture as being Corinthianized, it was basically saying that they were becoming utterly immoral and self-obsessed. Kind of might be like connotations we might think of if you said somebody was Vegasized or something. Right? Maybe a similar kind of thing. The view that the spiritual gifts gave someone greater status was imbued in everything that was going on. So I just want to look at a couple of little things here and then I'm going to tie everything up and we're going to, we're going to worship God and respond. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 5, he says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? A bit further down, jumping to verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul's sometimes so straightforward. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. But then a little bit further down in verse 39, he says, Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Right? We don't preach in tongues. And there's got to be time and place. And if somebody had you know, a message in tongues, we would have to interpret that. And most of the time, that's, that's going to be what happens. But it's something that we have to really think carefully about, you know, how we use it. But in our worship time and things like that, that is something that we explore. Um, and, and in small groups, another great thing for you to talk about this week and connect and stuff like that. But what overarches all of this and what have we got to keep in mind? And here's something where context isn't even going to, you know, it, it's applying in, no matter what. Um, Kurt, I'll get you, get you just go to slide 24 for a minute. 1 Corinthians 13, he says, If I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Let's remember this, people. Whatever we do, as it says in Galatians, all that counts is faith being expressed through love. Faith being expressed through love. And God has given us a gift. It's as simple as that. Speaking in tongues is just another gift for us to be able to express our faith in love. So, let me start wrapping things up. The Spirit is for all. 
which means the Spirit is for you. And when the Spirit comes and falls on us, He fills us, He floods us, He baptizes us, He immerses us in Him and enables us to speak in tongues. What is speaking in tongues? It's vertical speech, enabled by the Spirit, available to all Christians as a gift to empower our prayer life and to build us up. So what do we do from here? Paul says to us in Ephesians 5.18, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That'll be the last slide, Kurt. Thank you, by the way. There's so many slides, poor Kurt. I was glad when I heard that it was him that was going to be on there. He's my brother, if you don't know. Um, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. When Paul says this, that term, be filled, it's present continuous. It's meaning be filled and be filled again and keep being filled. It's like when I say to my kids, eat your vegetables. I'm not saying just eat them tonight. I'm saying eat your vegetables, like eat your vegetables, make them a part of you. If I'm saying don't hit your sister, I'm not saying just right now don't hit your sister, but in 10 minutes you can hit your sister. I'm saying don't hit your sister, like forever don't hit your sister. Paul is saying be filled with the Spirit, present continuous, be filled and be filled and be filled. We are hungry for the Spirit of God. So what do we do? And I might ask the band to start making their way up if that's all right. We turn our hearts and our minds to God. We yield to the Holy Spirit. Catherine Kuhlman, the famous revivalist, used to say the Heavenly Father doesn't ask for golden vessels. He doesn't ask for silver vessels. He asks for yielded vessels. That's it. Yielded vessels. So we're going to go into singing Fresh Wind, the song from before. We're going to sing it the whole way through. And we're going to pray for a fresh feeling of the Spirit. Now, as this song is going on, because the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants. If you've never spoken in tongues before, or if you don't believe that you've had that encounter with God, then ask. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who loves you pour out his Holy Spirit to those who ask? So ask. As the music's going on, you might be going, oh, I'm not sure. Is this me? Is this not? Like Justin Welby said, just, it just comes. Just begin to speak. You can do it as softly as you want. I whispered for about a month. Right? And then I was worried it would, would stop. It would run out and I'd wake up and be like, oh, it still works. Okay, cool. If, so if you're not sure, that's fine. Then at the end of this song, these guys are going to keep this going for a little bit. And we're going to open, open up the altar. And if you would like to receive prayer for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then I invite you to come on up. There'll be people here to lay hands on you, to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and fill you. That was something that happened in the Bible. So it's biblical. We're not just being weird. Lay hands on someone and pray for the Holy Spirit to fill them. If you've already been filled with the Spirit, if you, you know, you love that, but you know that you leak, just come and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again. If you would like prayer for any other need that could benefit from prayer, which is kind of any need, then also come up and receive prayer. We would love to pray for you. It's a series on prayer. I don't want someone to be like, well, I had a broken leg, but I didn't get prayer because you're only praying for the baptism of the Spirit. No, come and receive prayer. Okay. So I'm going to come back up in a minute, but let's just use, it's such a beautiful platform, this song, for us to open our hearts and our minds to what the Spirit of God is going to do. 
And let's believe that he is going to move in us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you, God, that you are so good, so loving. And you've said that you'll pour out your spirit on those who ask. So Holy Spirit, we ask. We ask that you would fill us afresh. We open our hearts and our minds to you. And we say we need more of you. Let us be yielded vessels. Lord, we lay our sins and our mistakes at your feet. Less of us, but more of you, Jesus. We ask that you would fill us up. Yeah, let's sing together.